This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly, and welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's where we bring you the entire conversation that we had with one of our favorite guests from the week. This week, Chris Fenton. He's a trustee over at the U.S. Asia Institute, a Hollywood producer. He's got a new book. It's called Feeding the Dragon, Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma Facing Hollywood, the NBA, and American Business. A must-read right now as tensions unbelievably continue to escalate between the U.S. and China. Check it out. Great to be back, and I'm glad Scarlett's here, too, because uh, I know she's a fellow Cornellian. I know. I feel like we could. this whole interview could just take a turn with you guys just doing some it sort of big red well. thing here, right? It may right? very well. We'll start talking <laughs> about hockey and line of rink and, you know. Exactly. Gorges go and all of that stuff. All that stuff. Well, all right. we're also talking, to, talking about the big red of China here, too, a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. You, you're a creative guy, Chris Fenton. Um, so... <laughs> Put the book in some context for us, because the title is so intriguing, and Scarlett and I were talking about it throughout the day and sort of trading notes, and I mean, it's very much, as our colleague Tom Keene would say, in the zeitgeist uh, in many ways, and a reminder that it's not all just trade wars and sort of obscure things like soybeans and whatnot. We're talking about pop culture. We're talking about sports and so many different things. Remind us what you set out to do with this book. Yeah, well, it's sort of amazing. I um, I was in the process of meeting with publishers last time I was on the show, which was in October, just after Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, sent out that tweet supporting the Houston, uh, the uh, Hong Kong protesters, and we we talked quite deeply about the NBA's issues, and then LeBron James had just landed back in the U.S., and he had um, issues explaining exactly where his point of view was on it. And, and it's amazing because the book, yes, the timing of having a book like this is fantastic um, in regards to selling books, but if it's a little bittersweet because yeah. um, we're also facing probably one of the worst relationships uh, the two countries, the U.S. and China, have had in the last 40 years. So it's a bit concerning. But yes, um, a lot of it has to do a lot more than with than just with commodities or tech. Um, I was in the middle of definitely the cultural and commercial exchange between the two countries. And the culture between us is really a very strong glue, whether that's in the sports industry or, or in the movie business. Basically, you're talking about soft power. I mean, the NBA, Hollywood movies, that's America's soft power, and that's what people in China kind of fell in love with, and um, it's one of our most powerful ways of influencing the rest of the world. How much did that get caught up in the trade war, the trade discussions, or was it something on the side? Well, it's it's funny because you you have – um, a lot of hawks that want to decouple completely from the relationship. And I argue to the hawks that um, some of the most powerful, if you want to say the words, weapons are our products in the cultural business. Because not only can we monetize that market, um, because there is a, a large demand in the consumer market of China for things like movies, our television program, and our sports um, our sports industry. Um, but on top of it, there is real money to make from those products and services, too. So every time a kid puts on a pair of Nike shoes or every time they watch a Transformers movie, 
movie or they see an episode of, of Game of Thrones or House of Cards, they're getting a little seepage of Western democracy into that market. So there's this soft power influence that comes even with the money that we're generating. It's sort of a two-handed sword. So let's talk more about that because, and and I'm glad you alluded to that time that we talked in October because it was a bananas time to use uh, a very technical term because mm-hmm. of what was going on with the NBA. I mean, with everything else that's happened in the world, that issue with Daryl Morey and LeBron James's response to it uh, has largely faded, although with the LeBron issue, it sort of came up again with the Hong Kong protests, you know, heating up again and everything that's happened between Beijing uh, and Hong Kong since then. But remind us kind of where the NBA sits in all of this, because the estimates for the money lost around that fracas, as it were, was measured in, I think, a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah, well, the NBA's issues are still ongoing. I mean, obviously, COVID has has caused uh, other issues with the NBA, but um, up to now, they are still not broadcasting the games in China. Um, There are still quite a bit of uh, merchandise, definitely from the Houston Rockets, but um, various other teams that aren't even sold over there. Um, There are some games that are delayed, streamed on on various platforms, but a lot of that, the lion's share of the revenue that NBA was generating out of that market is non-existent right now, and they're having a real hard time trying to get it back. So um, part of that has to do, obviously, with the Daryl Morey situation back in October, which, by the way, seems like 10 years ago yeah. at this point. But then the, the, the second thing is just that the relationship between the two countries is so frayed right now, it's very difficult to make any progress um, in, the, in the correct path that the NBA has to go at this point. You know, when you talk about the NBA in China, I can't help but think about Joseph Tsai, who's a co-founder of Alibaba and how he's an, an owner of the New Jersey Nets. or Is it New York Nets? No, Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn God. Nets. I'm, I'm showing my age here. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a callback, Scarlett. <laughs> it is. Um, how critical is that to mending some of the damage from between the NBA, between China, and, and kind of putting the best foot forward for both the league and the country? Well, I'm a little torn on that issue. I'm glad you brought him up. Um, You know, I don't know him personally, but I think um, the fact that he labeled what Daryl Morey brought up and brought to the attention of Americans, um, he called it a third rail issue and wants to keep it a third rail issue, I think is really a a poor um, decision and, and a poor influence that he's trying to put through. We really need to put this stuff... Um, on the front burner and make it part of the national discussion right now. I mean, what happened in Hong Kong, what's happening with the Uyghurs, what's happening in various unfair trade balance issues, um, quotas, protectionist policies, forced JVs, um, tech swaps, and intellectual property um, you know, uh, protection issues, these all need to be brought up, talked about by our legislators, um, by our business leaders, and we need to construct a proper path forward. Um, the time of sort of putting our ostrich heads in the sand is over, and, and 
quite frankly, if we figure out the right way to engage China moving forward, where it's a much more balanced relationship and we're addressing things that are American values and principles in the right way so we feel good about it, the bilateral relationship is going to get repaired in the process. It will be disruptive and a little messy in the interim, but we'll come out the backside of it in a much better situation where, quite frankly, there'll be strategic competitors and and partners um, just simply because we both need each other. So, Chris, let's talk about Hollywood uh, and the movie business and the entertainment business, because you have sat right at that nexus between the U.S. and China. And if the NBA's relationship with China is complicated, I feel mm-hmm. like the entertainment industry's relationship with China is 10 times more so. Everyone what are needs the a lot key of therapy. issues? What's that? Everyone needs a lot of therapy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what? A, uh, break down the key issues for us and how you navigated them, because you did um, in your former job over at DMG Entertainment. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the micro issues um, are as varied as, for instance, when we when we get a movie into that market, um, our share of that 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 receipt from that film is 25% of the overall box office, whereas the global norm is closer to 50%. They also have a quota there where only 32 to maybe 35 movies internationally, which includes Bollywood and Europe in that mix, are allowed into the market. And then on top of it, they have strict censorship rules, very strict marketing and distribution rules, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That all needs to be figured out. And obviously, that sits behind a lot of other big macro trade issues. But then there's things that really affect all Americans and just essentially what makes us um, the, the people that we're proud of. And one of those is our freedom of speech. And what uh, Senator Ted Cruz and various other members of Congress have brought up is this cross-border censorship that has been um, such a big issue right now between us and China, whether it's them trying to silence Daryl Morey outside of their borders and talking on behalf of Hong Kong protesters, or a jacket that Tom Cruise is wearing in Top Gun, where not only do they want to censor it in their country, but they want it censored when it's shown in Argentina or Germany or in Peoria, Illinois. And that's something that we need to address, because quite frankly, we need to protect that right of free speech. And in China, they can firewall that from their populace anyway. So they're really imposing on us what they want the rest of the world to think in their narrative. And how do we deal with that right now? Is it just kind of ad hoc? We, we, it, it's case by case? You know, it's funny. It's not an ad hoc situation. If it's one filmmaker and one film studio taking a stand, it will become a sacrificial lamb and, and almost a whack-a-mole situation where, say, Paramount takes a stand and says, no, we're going to allow the Taiwanese flag on Tom Cruise's jacket for the rest of the world to see. Well, then that slot and those movie slots for Paramount will go to the Universals and the Disneys, mm-hmm. et cetera. It essentially has to be a united front where everybody is on board with what our rules of engagement are with China, where we all abide by those same rules and principles, and we have a leverage situation because they do, they know their consumer 
wants Hollywood product. They know their consumer wants NBA and sports product out of our country. They know their consumer wants Starbucks and Apple and Nike. So if we can actually figure out what we're okay with in engaging that country in cultural and commercial exchange and abide by those principles, we'll have the leverage to be able to make this a much fairer situation. But if it's just left up to one CEO or one studio or one filmmaker or one basketball player, we're just not going to get anywhere. So, Chris, I I hear you say we, which is a noble idea. There's not a lot of we going on in the United States right now. There's a lot of them and a lot of us. And I do wonder, who does this ultimately come down to? Is it the industry uh, getting together? Is it those CEOs that you described? Does this have to happen on the federal level from the administration? Does it have to happen via Congress? Like, how does this get, if not solved, at least with some progress being made? You know, it's a, it's a great question. I'm, I'm advising a couple members on the China Task Force for Congress right now, and they've asked those questions of me and much smarter people than myself. And, and some of the things that I come up with is, is literally like, look, you guys have certain pressures from your constituents that make you sit up on a soapbox and say, LeBron James, do this, or David, you know, or, uh, you know, Bob Iger, do this. But there are pressures on LeBron and and Bob Iger from investors, shareholders, uh, sponsors that endorse them, et cetera. Everybody's got pressures. Essentially, what you have to do is know where those pressures are coming from and figure out how to abate them on both sides. There There has to be a Venn diagram where the circles have some sort of overlap, and we need to figure where that is, you know, out where that is. And and be okay with the fact that there will be some compromise. There will be human rights issues that we do not agree with in China. There will be political issues we don't agree with in China. There will be national security issues we don't agree with with China. But some of that stuff we're going to have to agree to disagree with Mm -hmm. because that market means so much potentially to our GDP, to jobs here, and to our efforts over time to influence them through our soft culture, soft power of our culture and our aspirational qualities of democracy. So, Chris, you've become known as an expert at negotiations with China. What's the single most important strategy or tactic when negotiating with China? You know what? There's there's probably much more uh, much more adept experts out there than myself. But um, if I just go by a typical rule of engagement, I mean, number one is to really understand where they're coming from and what their point of view is and where their pressures are themselves. I mean, the Chinese are human just like us, but they definitely have big issues that they're dealing with. And a lot of the times you're not just dealing with uh, a private sector company or a consumer base or something that seems very relevant to what we deal with here in the U.S. A lot of times it's the government. And if you look at the most top-layer part of that onion – they need to keep 1.4 billion people just happy enough that they don't revolt and have another Tiananmen Square situation. That means you need to provide them middle-class jobs, 
create that aspiration that they will get into the middle class and create the messaging that you're continuing to build upon that because they've brought 600 million out of poverty right. into the middle class but there's 1.4 billion people there. Yeah. All right, Chris, I'm not going to make you sing the alma mater, but you are a graduate of Cornell University. You went to the engineering school, I believe. How on earth did you end up in media and movies and Hollywood and writing? That's not you know, a usual career path. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I actually I saw Kurt Vonnegut speak when I was in, at Cornell. He was a physics major, and he said the only reason he was able to write a book is that he had no idea whether he was any good at or, good or not at writing, whereas all his English majors said every time they read, you know, wrote three pages, they would look at it and trash it and throw it away. So he finished books simply because he didn't know if he was good or not. So I took a swing at it and, and had one that was actually uh, I, I wrote in college that Fox bought to make a movie out of it never got made. But um, I was always very interested in the writing career, uh, and I ended up up uh, getting into the mailroom at William Morris and worked my way up as a literary agent in the movie business and sort of learned the craft of, of writing screenplays from great clients that I represented. And then ultimately, I just lived a really colorful journey that I fell into the middle of between the U.S. and China for 20 years. And I thought, wow, that's great fodder to write that Michael Lewis type of memoir. And here I am today. It's just been sort of a lucky chain of events. And that was Chris Fenton, trustee of the U.S. Asia Institute, on his book, Feeding the Dragon, Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma Facing Hollywood, the NBA, and American Business. And what's so interesting is it just came out already on reading lists for lots of colleges and business schools across the world. We need to understand, all of us, these tensions between the U.S. and China and what the economic and consumer implications are. Well, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune in to Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday starting at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly, and this is Bloomberg.